what we have gone through. And so um, we are going to be in this small little book this morning called Philemon. And if you don't know where it is, I'm going to tell you. It's right after Titus, but right before Hebrews. And if that doesn't make any sense to you, I'm going to give you a surefire way of finding any book in the Bible at any time you can. And if you take out your Bible, if you have a Bible, or if you just want to do it the easy way and take out your Bible app, and then you could just look up Philemon that way. But if you've got a physical Bible, because those of you who love the smell of paper have got to have that physical Bible. Well, no, it's great. I love the physical Bibles, too. Uh, right at the beginning of the Bible there is a table of contents. It never fails. Don't be ashamed to use it. It's there for a reason. Trust me, 66 books, that's hard to keep in, in, in order. So there you go. And you can look up uh, Philemon because it is so easy to pass up. It is so easy to pass up. By the way, as you look at this book, and we're going to spend the next few weeks in this book, and you, if you've looked at it, you're probably thinking to yourselves, Dan, this, I could read this in like two minutes. Yes, you can. It's an incredibly short book. In fact, it is the shortest one, I believe. I may be wrong. I, uh, Third John might have it uh, beat. But um, nonetheless, it is a really, really short book. And yet we're going to spend the next several weeks in this. It is so short. There are no chapters. It is just verses. That's how short it is. And yet we're going to spend the next several weeks because I think what is interesting and what is easy for us when it sometimes comes to Scripture is that it is easy for us to kind of jump over or glance over or take the 30,000 foot view of scripture when there are times maybe that it calls for us to maybe drill down a little bit more. And that's why we're going to spend the next few weeks in this letter, this book, is because there is more here than what I think is oftentimes maybe perceived to be here. And so that's why we're going to spend the next few weeks in this book. And really this book is unique because it is really in many ways all about a new beginning. All about a new beginning. Not only specifically a new beginning with Jesus, but more so a new beginning with each other. Because that's what this book is really about. It is in the light of a new beginning with Jesus Christ that all of a sudden now, how do we as followers of Jesus begin to have kind of a new beginning, new relationships with each other? And that's what is so amazing about this book. Is how do we then begin to... Uh, have these new relationships with each other. Because it, particularly in light of when there's been a falling out, when there's been a fracture in relationships, when relationships have gone south, how do we then have a new beginning? Whether or not we realize it, um, as followers of Jesus, we are a family. And I realize that even in our earthly families, we don't always get along, do we? That there are dynamics, that there are issues, even in earthly families. Well, I hate to break it to you all, but in case you haven't figured it out, there are still issues, even in the family of God. If that wasn't the case, um, if you don't believe me, just take a cursory look at the New Testament. Look at books like First and Second Corinthians. Uh, really, really unhealthy things going on there. And they were Christians. Look at Philippians and the dynamics that, and the conflicts that were going on there that Paul is pleading with several people there to please, if at all possible, reconcile. Okay? 
Here's the reality is that sometimes, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, that sometimes we come to church with this idealized idea of what it should be. And I, I, I understand that. I completely understand it. I have that idealized idea myself that relationships are just wonderful and everyone loves each other and everything else. Let me ask you a question and do not answer it out loud. Keep it to yourself. I want you to look around this room. Would you have ever chosen these people to hang out with had it not been for the fact that we gather here because we have a sole purpose of worshiping Jesus? Yeah. (laughs) Church is one of the few places, and this is what I love about church, because at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. Amen, right? That means you could be sitting next to someone who's incredibly wealthy. You could be sitting next to someone who's incredibly not wealthy. You could be sitting next to someone who is young. You could be sitting next to someone who is seasoned. You could be sitting next to someone... (laughs) Come on now. Let's be fair. You wear that crown of glory, you seasoned people. You know, my hair isn't turning white, it's turning blonde. Which, by the way, I was reading a study... Uh, this is past week. It said about stress does induce gray hair, but it does go back if your stress gets lowered. So for those of you who might be wearing that crown of glory, my apologies. Uh, really stressful times. I get it. Um, come on now. Let's, let, you know, you might be sitting next to someone who might not look like you, who might not believe the same things you believe, even politically. And you know what? It does not matter. We will not always get along when it comes to ideas of how we should raise kids and how we should uh, treat, uh, you know, go about marriages. And we will not always get along when it comes about specific beliefs about what we think about politics and what we think about issues and social issues and all that kind of stuff. And the wonderful thing, the beautiful thing about the gospel message is it lists nothing about those things about the reason why we gather together as a church family. Nothing. And that's a beautiful thing. That's by design. That's by design. So here's the thing that we're going to look at through this book of Philemon, is how can we have new beginnings when we have a falling out? When a relationship has been fractured, when a relationship has been strained, how can we begin to piece those things back together? That's what we're going to be looking at throughout this series. We're going to be looking at keys to a new beginning keys to a new beginning, which means that there are some truths that I think that we need to come at this to understand what these keys are. There are some truths that we need to kind of fess up to and realize. And I think we already know these truths, but I'm going to share them nonetheless. One is this. No relationship is perfect. No relationship is perfect. It goes up. It goes down. It goes around and around. It gets frustrating. It gets beautiful. It's great it's not it's peaceful it's chaotic it's friction it's smooth all of that stuff relationships are not perfect there is heartbreak there is you know fracturings there is tears there is laughter all of that kind of stuff relationships are hard relationships are difficult relationships are not easy ask anyone I don't care if you're married, a parent, a friend, a co-worker. No relationship is perfect. Relationships aren't easy. 
And that's hard, isn't it? But there's a bright side. I mean, as the reality is, no relationship is perfect. Well, guess what? Um, at least there's country music if it weren't for broken relationships. <laughs> or Taylor Swift. Right? I've played, you know, I've heard that country song, you know, you, you play it backwards, you get your house back, you get your wife back, you get your dog back. You know, all that kind of stuff. I get it. If there was no brokenness, there wouldn't be even certain genre of music. More than that, honestly, if there wasn't brokenness, some of the most beautiful things that have happened and have come out, whether it's in art, poetry, music, you name it, has been fed out of brokenness. I was listening to a podcast and a well-known comedian, uh, this person was asked, how did you come up with your material? And the person said, I, I was learned from a mentor friend of mine that this person said to me, don't look at the bright side of your life for your comedic material. Go to the pain. That's where your best comedy is. It's in your pain. Gives you perspective. Gives you wisdom in some of that. And I, I, that's, so no relationship is perfect. And that includes relationships with each other as followers of Jesus. That includes relationships in the church. No relationship is perfect. Every relationship goes through ups and downs. There are times that we've had falling outs, fracturing, you know, that all of a sudden where we were once close with someone, we are no longer. These things happen, and they happen even in the church, or, shall I say, especially in the church. Right? That's number one. Number two is this. While relationships aren't perfect, new beginnings are possible. While relationships aren't perfect, new beginnings are possible. Relationships can be healed. Relationships can be reconciled. Relationships can be, once again, made whole. Relationships, not perfect, whole. Understand what I'm saying here. I, I don't want us to have an idealized idea of this, okay? Uh, I don't know of any couple that wakes up and that doesn't have some conflict at some time in their marriage, that doesn't have some tension in their marriage at some point at some time, that sometimes you might wake up next to your spouse and say, oh, that's right, I'm still married to him. <laughs> or her. We're an equal opportunity church here. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Right? There's, there's no doubt. And you might go to work and you might still say, oh yes, I still work with that person. Right? I mean, it's just how it is. Let me just say this. As tough as relationships can be and that the fact that relations aren't perfect, new beginnings are possible in fractured, broken relationships. That was the entire reason why Jesus came. That was the entire reason why Jesus came was to heal an incredibly fractured relationship between us and the Father. And Jesus came to once again mend that broken relationship. It wasn't easy. In fact, it was very hard. But that's the whole point of Jesus coming, was to bring what was once fractured, to bring it once again whole, reconciled, and healed. And that means, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, and this is the third point that we need to realize, third truth, is that as followers of Jesus, our ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. 
And I love what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he talks about this. And by the way, when I first saw this, I saw this passage really enlightened to me 20 plus years ago when I was in training to become a youth pastor. And I never forget this gentleman who was leading us in a certain section um, in our training. And he showed us this passage. And this passage has been my, my uh, in many ways, my life verse since that time. And I love what it says. I'm going to read two verses, but then I'll, I'll hone in on the, on the specific verse I want to hone in on here. And he says this, and Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. How many of us have heard that passage before? Right? Great passage. Wonderful passage. Excellent passage. And, and I think it's absolutely phenomenal. And that's the beauty of Jesus Christ. Now, here is the next that comes after it. And this is what has been my life verse. 18. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Great, right? That's what Jesus did. And guess what? The last part, this is where it matters. And gave us what? The ministry of... Do you know that our ministry as followers of Jesus Christ is, is reconciliation? Every single one of us, this is our ministry. To bring reconciliation to fractured relationships. Starting with God and us through Jesus Christ. And then also working on the fractured relationships around us. That's our ministry. That's our ministry. If you want to know what your ministry is, that's your ministry. Oh, and by the way, you don't have to be a full-time pastor to do that ministry. In fact, I would encourage you, don't. Sometimes I think as pastors, and I'm guilty of it as well at times, and I want to repent of that, is sometimes I think we make you feel guilty that if you're not in full-time ministry, your life is not as fulfilling and as worthy as mine is. Because I get to spend every day with Jesus. And you guys have to go to work. Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. Let me just say this. Every single one of you have a calling on your life and God has placed you exactly where he wants you to be placed. And in there, in that context, that's your ministry of reconciliation. In fact, I heard a quote once, and I don't know who the preacher who said it said this. If God has called you to be a garbage person or a sanitational engineer, don't you dare stoop so low as to be a pastor. You are called where you are. That's your ministry. So minister. Be a person of reconciliation. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing. That's, that's what we got to do. I love what theologian and, and counselor Paul David Tripp says about the church. He says this. The church is not a theological classroom. It is a conversion, confession, repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, and sanctification center. Where flawed people place their faith in Christ, gather to know and love Him better, and learn to love others as He designed. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, in case you haven't figured it out, that's really, really tough. That is tough, tough work. It's really hard. How hard is this work of reconciliation? Well, Jesus gave His life for it. Literally, and figuratively, spiritually, as well as physically. He sweat what was tears like blood and was nailed on a cross 
Now, thankfully, you and I don't have to do that because he did the hardest work of all. But nonetheless, the work that we are called to as followers of Jesus Christ is incredibly difficult. Period. Incredibly difficult. Having relationships with people that you and I would probably never have chosen to have relationships with, but because we are in church together, we have relationships with each other. To have relationships with people that we may not always get along with, to have relationships with people that we may not always see eye to eye on, to have relationships with people who may be very different than us, is incredibly difficult work to make sure that at times when we may disagree, when we have falling out, that we are about the ministry of reconciliation. And I'm not talking false reconciliation. I am talking the hard work getting down in the dirt reconciliation that takes time, that we sweat bloods of tears, that we do all of those kinds of things because it is incredibly difficult. So difficult that I think many Christians, and I can certainly understand it, we would rather just go to another church then face the conflict here. Amen? You just agreed with me. No problem. I mean, truly, we would just rather, you know what? I'm just going to go somewhere else in hoping that we can run away from our problems and that they won't come back to us. The problem with that is that if the problem is you, you haven't run away from your problem. You've just taken to a new environment. Right? As Christians, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, we're always trying to look for that perfect church. I think it was Charles H. Spurgeon who said, if you ever find a perfect church, don't go there, you'll just ruin it. (laughs) You'll just ruin it. There is no perfect church. There is no perfect relationship. However, new beginnings are possible. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to help bring about these new beginnings. That is the context, the truth that I want us to realize today as we begin to study this book of Philemon. The work is hard, but it is a good and worthy, noble ministry that we have been called to. This is what was happening here as we come to the book of Philemon. This is perhaps one of Paul's most personal books that we will read. This isn't to the church necessarily specifically. It is in many ways, as we're going to see. But more than that, it was about helping two brothers in Christ come together once again after there had been a fracturing of a relationship. And what I want us to see is how does Paul approach that task? How does he do that? And in doing so, I hope that we can learn how maybe we should also approach this task of reconciliation. Whether it is trying to get other brothers and sisters who might have had a falling out to come back together, or maybe between ourselves and another person. And this morning, we're going to look at two key things that we can do. Two key things that Paul does. We're only going to look at three verses today. That's it. Three verses. I have never spent this much time in introduction, but today we are. We're going to spend a little time on this introduction because this is so cool and crucial to how Paul approaches this situation. And how does Paul approach it? Very carefully. And very intentional. So, let's dive in and let's take a look at the first key to a new beginning. Uh, Keys to a new beginning. Keys to a new beginning starts with your posture. With your posture, your attitude, your perspective in the way that you come at it. And here's what I mean by this. And I will kind of flesh this out in the following here. And we're going to only read verse 1 of Philemon. It says this, Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus 
and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker. Now, what is so interesting about this introduction is that in many ways, it is a typical introduction that we might think that Paul gives, but in many ways, it's not. Because here's the thing. Paul, at the beginning, right there, the, the third word in this introduction, he calls himself a prisoner. Nowhere else do we see this in any of his other letters where he calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, there are three things that are really important about this title. One is this, is that it's a literal title. Prisoner of Jesus Christ. He is writing this letter while he is in prison in Rome. And he's writing this letter to Philemon and the church in Colossae. Okay? So he's literally in prison. So yes, he has been put in prison because of his ministry of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's a very literal title for him. But not only that, it's also a recognition of his ministry. That he is captive by choice and compelled to fulfill his call of the ministry of reconciliation. He is held captive to it. He cannot help but as a follower of Jesus Christ that this is my ministry. I am captive to it. By choice, this is my ministry. I can't get out of it. I can't, I cannot in any way escape it. This is my ministry. I cannot run away from it. I am compelled and held captive to this ministry of reconciliation. And this was Paul's entire ministry was to try to bring reconciliation. His biggest goal in which he says in Ephesians that he pulls the curtain back and says, my hope and my goal is to bring the Jews and the Gentiles together under the lordship of Jesus Christ so that together they may worship together where before they would never even consider worshiping together. But now because of Jesus Christ and his atoning and reconciliation work on the cross, that they can once again come together as one people worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ in together in presence with each other. And what a beautiful picture of God's family that is. That was Paul's entire ministry. And he brings that now and translates it into a personal one-on-one relationship. In this case, between Philemon and another man by the name of Onesimus. And thirdly, and perhaps maybe most importantly, it indicates his posture. It indicates his posture, his attitude in coming at this conflict between these two brothers. He could have come at it and said, as an apostle of Jesus Christ... In other words, and by the way, you can learn a lot about how Paul is approaching the people he's writing to by exactly how he starts off his letters. Most, a lot of times he says as an apostle, which means he's coming at them as a position of authority. By the way, as a leader of the church who planted this church, who ministered to you, who brought you to Jesus Christ, who did all these things, I could compel you make up. He doesn't say that. Rather, he says as a prisoner... I don't know about you, but do prisoners have a high status in society? No. They're often forgotten in many ways. And yet this is the title that Paul chooses. He comes at it as a position of going under, as a servant, as someone who is just wanting to come aside, or even more than that, to take a knee towards these men. These men whom he knew. These men whom he ministered to. These men whom, in many ways, he brought them to Jesus Christ. And now as a position of kind of even as servant, their servant, that is the posture that Paul is taking. Let me just say this. No one can be forced to reconcile. 
right? Parents, you, whether or not we realize this, it's in some ways true, right? You have two siblings who are fighting with each other, right? And what do parents do? They break it up and they say, okay, now apologize to your sister. I'm sorry. That wasn't heartfelt. Say it like you mean it. I'm sorry, sister. Whatever it is, right? I mean, how often, how effective is that? They're right back at it. It doesn't take them long. You cannot force reconciliation. You just can't. That's the beautiful thing about Jesus Christ. For all of his power, for all of his authority, for the fact that he is God in the flesh, and all the things that he could do, that he could compel us to do, he's, he's God after all. He could just do it. He doesn't force us to ever be reconciled to him. Ever. We as human beings may think we've got to force you. And, and in the church, I understand this, we have such a desire for this to happen that we do a lot of things to kind of, in many ways, lack of a better word, kind of manipulate people into accepting Jesus Christ. You know, we, we play on the emotions and we do all of this kind of stuff. One of the things I love about some of our traditions in the Brethren Church is we kind of shy away from that stuff. We do not want to anybody accept Jesus Christ on an emotional whim. It's like going to Las Vegas on a whim and marrying this person you just met and then waking up the next morning and go, what did I just do? Right? We try to shy away from that stuff. But I understand why churches do because we just want people to know Jesus this is so important. And so we'll do whatever it takes, even if it even crosses some lines to try to manipulate people into doing that. You cannot force reconciliation. Paul knows this. Jesus knew this, which is what I love what it says in Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus, being God himself, gave up any rights to the authority that he had of that and did what? Made himself a little lower than the angels. And became human to bring about reconciliation. Out of all the ways that Jesus could have done it, the way that he did it was not using his authority. But placing all those things aside, he came off his throne and became one of us as a servant. Mark 10, chapter, or Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says this, that Jesus said it himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but rather to what? Serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the posture that Jesus took. And that is the posture Paul is taking here. Paul is taking the posture of a person who just wants to come alongside and help bring healing. Knowing he can't force it. Knowing he can't demand it. And he's not even going to try it because it's wrong. And it would not lead to lasting healed relationships. Brothers and sisters, not only is posture crucial in this way, but for those of us who may want to possibly have a a fractured relationship healed, we need to have a posture similar here as well. If we want to have a healed relationship with someone that we had a relationship with, we need to have a posture, not that of authority and demand it, but rather of that of a servant, a prisoner, someone incredibly low that says, you know what? I'll lay my life down for this. I'll lay my, I'll give up whatever rights I have, and I'll lay my, my, my life down for this. And that's incredibly difficult. And yet that is the position, the posture that Paul is taking as he opens up this letter. That is one key. Here's the second one. Not only is it keys to new beginning starts with your posture, it also involves 
key people as well. This is what Paul writes. And he says this in verse 2 and 3. And to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What is so interesting about this letter is that Paul could have just written it to Philemon, could have been just delivered to Philemon, and it would just be between him and Philemon. But that's not what Paul does. What Paul does is he expands the circle to key individuals. Aphia, our sister. Most likely, Aphia, our sister, is Philemon's wife. There was someone who could maybe help bring about reconciliation. Probably his spouse. And not only that, he also lists Archippus, our fellow soldier. Archippus was most likely Philemon's son. And thirdly, he brings in the entire church which met in his house. So in other words, the letter that he delivered was not only just for Philemon to hear. It was for his wife, his son, and the entire church to hear it as well. For what purpose was that? It's for the simple purpose to know that, guess what? Paul can't do it on his own, and neither can these two guys. It's going to take the initiative of other key people around them to bring them to reconciliation. That's what's going to take. That's what it's going to take. If you take a look at the fractured relationships in your own life, even specifically with Jesus Christ, was it just between you and Jesus? Or did someone come along and share Jesus with you? Did other people come along and share who Jesus is? And then finally, after several people, maybe, you finally said, you know what? I think I want to know Jesus. I think I want to follow Jesus. And you chose to follow him. You know what? Here's the thing about maybe that is so frustrating for us as followers of Jesus Christ when we share the gospel. We oftentimes want to be that individual who actually leads a person to Jesus Christ. How cool is that, right? How cool is that to actually be able to lead a person to Jesus Christ, to pray a prayer with them and to say at the moment that they accept Jesus Christ into their life? What a beautiful moment. And yet, how often does that happen? Someone else that maybe you were meeting with this individual and all of a sudden just sharing the gospel with them. And then later on, some other person met with them and it was with that person that they got, that they finally accepted Jesus. And you look at it and go, really? That's not fair. I was with them when, yeah, yeah, I get that. You had a place. You were a key individual in this process. Trust me, you played an important role. They sometimes call that the chain of evangelism. We rarely, if ever, come to know Jesus just on our own. Oftentimes it is through other individuals multiple individuals who do that and help us come to know Jesus and be reconciled with the Father. The same is true when it comes to relationships between each other. Oftentimes, it's rarely just one individual who can do it. It's oftentimes a series of people who come alongside and help us become reconciled with others. It's the way it is. That's why I think Paul shares this letter with not only Philemon, but his wife, his son, and the church in general. And as we look out through the scriptures, the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, we see this pattern of individuals, multiple individuals, who are helping people come to know Jesus Christ or come to know God the Father. And the Old Testament is primarily the prophets and signs and wonders. In the New Testament, we see the followers of Jesus doing this as well. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, here you have a situation and this eunuch is reading the scriptures and all of a sudden, he doesn't understand what it is. And Philip shows up and says, what are you doing? I'm reading the scriptures, but I don't understand what this means. Philip says, well, I'll tell you what it means. It means Jesus. Right? He was not on his own. 
Stephen and the Jewish leaders, when Stephen, who became the first martyr in the church, was explaining the gospel message to the Jewish leaders, trying to get them to understand that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament prophesied about. Jesus is that fulfillment. Jesus is the one through whom we can be reconciled. And in the end, those leaders, instead of accepting Jesus Christ, embracing Jesus Christ, instead, what did they do? They literally covered their ears, yelled, and ran after and stoned him. And a young man by the name of Saul, who was there to watch their coats, saw this all happening. Barnabas, when Paul and a guy by the name of John Mark had a falling out, Barnabas was there to help try to bring about reconciliation. Rarely is it just between the two broken parties, involved parties, that reconciliation can take place. Oftentimes it involves key individuals to help bring it about. That's why I believe Paul now expands this letter beyond that. These are two crucial keys to begin to have a new beginning in a fractured, broken relationship. Starts with our posture and the involvement of key people. And as I look at my own life, I think that's true. I don't forget how many years ago this was, probably 20 years ago. Um, lifelong friend and I, and I had a falling out. This lifelong friend and I, we grew up together. We met in kindergarten. We went to college together. We roomed together. We went into ministry together. We actually lived in the same city in Ohio ministering, and we lived blocks apart from each other. And we had a falling out. And it was painful, it was hard, it was hurtful, it was incredibly difficult. But I'll never forget is that the person who helped bring about reconciliation between us was a youth counselor of ours who was with us and taught us and mentored us while we were in youth group in our church. And he wrote each of us a handwritten letter. How much, and the way that he approached it is he didn't demand us to reconcile, he just shared his perspective and how his heart was breaking for us and how much he was praying for us and how much he hoped that we would reconcile. We did reconcile. We did have a new beginning. We were able to come back after a fractured relationship and begin to once again have a new beginning and have a great friendship. It wasn't easy, but I'm grateful for that individual and the other individuals who I didn't even know about who were praying for us, who were, who were just cheering us on that we could once again be reconciled. And I'm grateful for the fact that he and I luckily had postures that were willing to lay down our lives to make that possible. I share that to share this. Um, in the next few weeks, those of you who are members and regular tenders here at Summit Ridge Community Church will be getting an email from our lay elders. And that email is going to share in that about the fact that we have been through a lot as a church, haven't we? These past couple of years have been really tough. We have had a lot of stuff we have been through, for lack of a better phrase or word. I can't think of the specific word I want. It's just been tough. It's been hard. In some ways, it's been heartbreaking. In some ways, it's been difficult. In some ways, we have seen relationships that we once had now fractured and broken. We have seen these things take place. And it has hurt us, hasn't it? 
For any of you who have been here for that time, you know this. You know that it has just been heartbreaking. And it has not been easy. I want to tell you that in the next several weeks, you're going to be getting an email from our lay elder board that is going to invite you all, if you choose to, and again, this is your choice, to come and to share your hurts, your pain, your thoughts about what has taken place in our body. And our hope is, is that as elders, is that we would begin a process of reconciliation and healing. And here's why. I want to share with you from my position, not only as a fellow follower of Jesus Christ, but also as a pastor of this church, that I know that I have done things that maybe has hurt you, that maybe has caused some pain, that maybe has caused some heartache. And I know that. I know that. I know that it has, has fractured relationships. And you know what? I don't know about you, but I want to help bring, if I can, some sort of reconciliation and healing. That is the desire of our lay elders as well. And let me just say this to all of you. I realize that maybe saying that to you all, you might be thinking, oh, this is... Hey, I, no, I'm good. I'm good, Dan. I got nothing to share. My heart's great. Woo, I had a heart transplant. I'm good. I got no issues here whatsoever. You're the greatest pastor that's ever existed, you know. All that kind of stuff. I mean, we have the greatest leaders in any church I've ever been a part of. Whatever else. Fine. If that's your, you don't have to share. You can just come and share that if you want to. But here's my hope. Is that you would actually, if, you, if you're sitting here right now and you're hurting, you're confused, you've experienced pain, I hope that you will choose to share that. The letter will explain the format and how we want to do this. I'm not going to go into specifics at this time, but I hope that you would choose to come and to share those pains. We need to hear them. That's the start, by the way, of reconciliation, is to understand where the hurt is, is to understand where the pain is, is to understand maybe how we, myself, contributed to that. It's not easy, is it? But this is the, this is the work of the Ministry of Reconciliation. This is our ministry. This is what we are to do as followers of Jesus Christ. And I know it's tough. If it wasn't tough, Jesus wouldn't have had to die for it. I know it's difficult. I know it's uncomfortable. Trust me, I've been through it. But it's oh so necessary. And so here's my request for all of you. Between now and when you receive that email, my request is this, is that you'll be praying. That if you do have pain and hurt, that you would be willing to share that with the lay elders. That we can, as a church family, begin to maybe have a process of reconciliation and healing. That we can once again have a new beginning in our relationships with each other. It's possible. It's absolutely possible. And not only that, I believe it can happen. Amen? Let's spend some time in prayer right now. Jesus, Relationships are the toughest thing in our lives. It is probably what we spend the most time thinking about. It's probably what we spend the most time agonizing about. It's probably what we spend the most time celebrating. It's probably what we spend the most time just enjoying in our lives, Jesus. And Father, even the relationships we have with each other in 
the church, specifically here at Summit Ridge Jesus. Relationships are tough. But I am hopeful and I am grateful, Jesus, that you have called each and every one of us to the ministry of reconciliation, as you have called Paul. Father, we know that there are relationships here in our own body that have been fractured, that have been broken, that have been, for lack of a better phrase, Jesus, have just been torn apart. 